thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to come together. We ask for your Holy Spirit to come and guide us and as we look at this section that we're going to be looking at and as we go through the book of Judges and we just ask you to guide and lead in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right. We ended the song of Deborah and Barak last week or, and now we're going into chapter 6 of the book of Judges and we're going to start the story of Gideon. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Midian seven years. And the, and the hand of the Midian prevailed against Israel, and because the Midianites, because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east came, even they came up against them, and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till you come unto Gaza and left no substance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came up as grasshoppers for multitude of both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. So we're going to stop there and and bring out a point that we've been bringing out all along. Each time the children of Israel retreat from God, they go deeper into sin, and the consequences are they get deeper punishment than the previous time. And remember the first time they were in for only a few years, and then the judge came, and then the next time it was 20 years, and then the judge came, and the next time it was 30 years, and then the judge came. And this time... It doesn't tell us how long it's been, but look at the punishment that they get from them. Before they were just put under captivity of a nation, which meant they paid taxes and weren't, weren't nicely treated, but here against the Midianites, the Midianites are making them impoverished. Every time they grow their crops and are ready to, go, to harvest the crops, the Midianites came in, take the crops and destroy what's left. All right, and that's pretty evil. All right, to come in and just take everything and make sure that they have no food is very evil. And this is a pattern in history that is, and even in our own lives and people's lives, they keep turning back, they go deeper into the sin they turn back into, and it's harder to come out, and usually the consequences are worse when you go back to a sin, whatever that sin might be whether it's alcohol, drugs, sex, you know, lying, whatever your sin is that has got you wrapped up in it, when you go back into it, you usually go deeper than you left it, and the consequences are harder. And here we are, fourth judge already, and they're in a place where they're being not only paying taxes, which takes away your increase, not only enslaved, but now they're taking away their very substance. There's a famine in the land that is not their, of their making because people are coming in, basically taking the crops that they do harvest and destroying what little is left. And we look at this and it says, the children of Israel made uh, dens in the mountains with caves and strongholds. So in other words, whenever these people came, they hid in the caves. <laughs> they found places where they could try to hide some of their product. They tried to find places where they could hide and survive. The various groups that are now plaguing Israel in David's time are going to be in subjection to them and be fairly nice to them because David has enough power to enforce 
obedience and being nice to them. If, he, if David hadn't been in power, they probably wouldn't have been nice to them. And there is something to be said about this in the world. That when a nation is strong, the people are nice to them. They don't, they don't try to take what's theirs. When the nation appears weak, then people attack them and, and cause problems. And this is true in history. All you gotta do is you know, study history and you see this over and over again. If somebody is stronger than the other, they oppress, oppress the other person. If they're strong enough to defend themselves, then people will back off. Nations are just as big a bully as the bullies on the street that we deal with in today's world. If they think they're gonna come up against somebody who might give them a bloody nose in return, they usually will back down and not go too far forward. And it's the same thing with nations. The Midianites and the Amalekites had no fear of Israel. And Israel's defender is God. And he says, okay, I've had enough of you following these idols. And he says, okay, you can be under judgment. And this happens even, like I say, in our lives, we can do the same thing. If we lift up sin and idols against God, you'll say, fine, you can just wallow around. You go talk to your idol for a while. And all through the scriptures, he does, says that. Okay, you, you're, you're repenting. Go talk to your idols that you've been worshiping for the last 10 years. Yes. Don't come to me until they're ready truly to repent. And so God oftentimes will do that to us. You know, you think you, think you want to turn to me? Well, why don't you just go to the idol you've been worshiping until we're ready truly to turn ourselves over to him. And usually when people get in trouble, and we know this is true, usually what they are having a problem with is I got caught or I got punished. Not that I'm sorry I was doing something. And that's something I've asked, I used to ask my kids a lot and even some of the kids that I worked with in Sunday school and everything. Are you sorry you got caught or are you sorry for doing it? And usually when they were being honest, they were going, I'm sorry I got caught. Okay, so then don't expect a whole lot of mercy from me if you're just sorry because you got caught. Enjoy your punishment. <laughs> but here it says that these enemies came up against Israel and it says they came as grasshoppers without number. Now, I'm sure and we know that there was a number, but basically they're saying there were so many of them, we couldn't even count how many of them were coming and they just swept across. And if you've ever been around places where locusts and grasshoppers come really swarming, uh, they can appear as a cloud mm -hmm. and they don't leave anything behind and that's really what he's saying. These, these grasshoppers are probably in Hebrew locusts. They came through, they took out the harvest and there was nothing left when they got done. And so this is the, this is the situation that the children of Israel are in. They're hiding out in caves, they're doing, they're trying hard to salvage whatever little bit they can and being happy with whatever they can salvage. And you know, then this has to be something that is totally depressing. You have this beautiful field of, of ready to harvest. You, get, you start harvesting it, you get, you get a you know, quarter of a day's work or a half a day's work, and the next thing you know, the enemy comes along and destroys your harvest. Always consequence for sin. And we say this over and over again, there's always consequence for sin. All right, verse seven. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drove out those that from before you and gave you their land. And I said, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. 
but you have not obeyed my voice. All right, here's a prophet. He's got a real, real good message for them. Uh, you should have known better. <laughs> That's really what it boils down to. He sends somebody in. He says, God took you out of Egypt where you were in bondage. He gave you all these victories, and all you had to do was obey him, and it says, you have not obeyed God. In other words, it says you're getting what you deserve. What a comforting message from the prophet. Uh, well, they wanted mercy, and God's saying, I don't have any for you right now. You know, and this is something that we need to be very careful. If we presume upon God's mercy and do sin just because he's going to be merciful to us, we may find God giving us just this message from the prophets around us saying, uh, you didn't think that I was going to punish you? You can just wallow around in your sorrow for a while. And oftentimes, God will let that happen to us. If we presume upon his mercy and his grace, he'll say, fine, you just wallow around in the mud for a little while. And then when you're really, truly ready to repent, because I think they're in, they called out to God not because they were ready for God to deliver them, but they're going, you know, in the past, he's done these things. All we had to do is call out his name, and he's come and helped. And they didn't realize there was a heart attitude behind that call. And God understands the heart attitude. And this is what I've said many times. You know, when somebody says they've said a prayer to ask Jesus into my heart, you know, God knows whether it's true or not. Do I truly believe that, God, you are the way, the truth, and life? No one comes to the Father by you. Or am I simply just testing the waters? And it, one of the things that used to drive me nuts back in the 60s, 70s, and even in the 80s was that people would go, try God. There is no try God. You either accept him or you don't. There's no, God, I'm going to put you on a 90-day trial. If you don't perform for me in 90 days, I'm going to go somewhere else. And God says, well, I don't perform on demand. You're not willing to give me your whole life, then there is no 90-day money-back guarantee with God. And I've said that before. You know, you know how do they sell things? 90-day 90 90 guarantee. Try it. If you don't like it, return it, and we'll give you all back your money. And that's not God. Now, you know what? If we, if we go to God, and we go, God, I'm giving up everything for you, you would never go back and turn around anyway because you're going, God, you are so wonderful. You've done such great things. But all, all you're doing is try, trying God. Uh, let me just try this. I tried Muhammad. I tried Buddha. I tried these other guys. Let me just try God now. And he's going to go, nope, that's not the way it works. And I think that's what they were doing here. They were trying God. You know, God, you, you know, we're going to call out, you know, uh, we remember what you did for Deborah. We know what you did for Ehud. We know what you did for Shamgar. You know, we're just calling out. And we're saying that we're, you know, that we're sure that we need you. And God's saying, no, you don't have the right attitude yet. And that's been obvious by the message he sent. The God who did all these things is not the one you've been listening to. But God is going to send, an, send deliverance. <laughs> yeah. The good news is God will send people when the right time comes. And the problem for us as human beings is we don't usually believe that God's time is right. We want it in our time, not his time. And how many times have we done that to God in our life? They're starting to turn to God even though it's with the wrong attitude. Oftentimes, God will say they need to come to the, to the bottom. Now, we as individuals, especially if they're family members, don't usually want to let our kids hit bottom, rock bottom. Or heaven help you if it's your grandkid that has to hit rock bottom or a great-grandkid who has to write. 
or even a friend. You know, how often do we bail somebody out before it's time? And God says with this prophet, it's not time yet. You are not ready. You are not truly turning away from your sin yet. And so we're going to go a little further here. Verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under the oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abazite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where is all the miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this, this your might, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall smite the Midianites as one man. All right, so we're going to stop there. The angel of the Lord. Many cases when you read this title in the scriptures, the Old Testament is talking about Jesus. It's called a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus or a Christophany. And I believe this is one of those pictures of Jesus. When Abraham met the three angels that were getting ready to go into Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy it, Abraham worshipped the angel of the Lord. And no angel ever receives worship. That has to be Jesus. And he made a sacrifice to him. Uh, Joshua meets Jesus. It's the angel of the Lord. Just as he's getting ready to take over leadership and he says, be strong and of good courage. I have chosen you to lead these people. Picture of Jesus. All right. Many times we see the picture of Jesus. The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace has a, has a fourth man in there. And Nebuchadnezzar says, the fourth one looks like the son of, son of the God. Uh, picture of Jesus walking in the flesh with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's many pictures of here. And this, I believe, is one of those pictures where Jesus comes and he talks to him. Christophany, or a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. In other words, Jesus had a body before he was born for the New Testament time. And he had a body because he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So God had given him flesh to be able to appear at various times to, to people. Jesus had a body after the resurrection and, and could show up in a, body, in a bodily form. So what that means, he could also pass through walls and just show up in places. So Jesus had some form of body. Now, what was different about that body? We knew he showed up in a room, a locked room, with no, and it didn't bother him, and he just popped into the room. That means he's had some way of maneuvering outside of our time frame and our dimension, and then able to re you know, reintegrate to this dimension, if you want to talk about it in physical terms. All right, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak tree, which is at Ophrah, which this, these statements seem to be something that will mean something to the Israelites. Okay, they know where this oak tree, the specific oak tree, because it sounds very specific. The oak tree at Ophrah, which probably means it's where Gideon ruled, you know, judged people from because it was very specific later on. Uh, 
which pertained to Joash, the Abazite, and his son Gideon, threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now, this is something, for some reason, I always have pictured him threshing the wheat in the winepress, but it says it was by the winepress. But I just noticed this when I read, studied this this last week, is that it's by. So he's hiding behind the winepress, threshing wheat. Right now, it just says Gideon. His son Gideon is threshing the wheat. Remember, if there's too many people gathered together in one place, they're going to draw attention mm -hmm. to the enemy. So this is Gideon trying to get some food for his family threshed. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto them, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, this is, and we're going to hear just from, you know, we read his comments back. Gideon last description of Gideon would give himself would be a man of valor. Okay. Uh, and we see this in his answer later, you know, as he's going on. But, you know, I can almost picture Gideon looking around. Is there somebody else here t talking with us? Uh, who, who are you talking? But I think this is wonderful because God sees us different than we see ourselves. Too often we see ourselves as absolute nothings, and that's actually one thing that's good because God can use that. But we also need to, be, to understand that when God is on our side, there is nothing that can stop us. If God is on our side, nothing is going to stop us. All right? If God is on our side, neither height nor breadth nor depth nor width can keep us from, from accomplishing what, I, what we talk, what he's told. Isaiah says that we will be able to leap mountains and fly with eagles and run, run and not be weary. We're told all these things. We see all through these times when God's with somebody and they do miraculous activities. Moses leads the people through the Red Sea when God splits it wide open. Joshua leads them through the through the Jordan when he splits it wide open. He sends all these battles and kills all the enemies. He brings down the walls of Jericho. And if you read some of the different testimonies, you see some very interesting things that God has done even in modern days for people. God, if God is on your side, anything can be accomplished. And we've got to understand this. Think about the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples. They go from four, 50 days of quaking in their boots, terrified that they're going to be arrested and killed. They get the filling of the Holy Spirit, and Peter stands up on the steps and preaches a message that 3,000 people get saved. This is a man who just moments ago, before that, was quaking in his boots, afraid of dying. And all of a sudden, he's standing up boldly and preaching the word of God. If we have God's Holy Spirit in us, the things we can do are unlimited. When the Holy Spirit's on our side and moving in through us, that's when you can witness to people, you can share the gospel, you can, you can do whatever it is that God's asking you to do, and you will not have any problems doing it because you're letting him do the work. And it's just saying, God, I'm the vessel you're using. And the most fun is when you're a teacher or a preacher and all of a sudden, or you're even witnessing, and all of a sudden God starts speaking through your mouth. And it's so fun. You kind of sit back and go, man, I never knew I could talk this way. I can't talk this way. <laughs> all right, God, thank you for using me, and I'm going to listen in as you're using me. And it's a lot of fun. And this happened a lot, especially when I witness, because I am not a real natural witnesser. When it, when it comes out really good and smooth, it's God.
And I'm standing back, wow, God, you, you really can put together a good message. And here we see God coming up to Gideon and saying, you're a man of valor. Hiding behind the wine press, threshing the wheat, probably in some kind of alcove or something because it talked about the dens and everything they're in. But he is basically hiding. And then Gideon said unto them, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this fallen on, fallen on us? Where, where is all the miracles that, which our fathers told us, saying the Lord did bring us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites? How many times have you ever thought this or heard it said, and believe me, I've heard it said plenty of times. Where is God when all these bad things happen? Where is God when this is going on? Where is God? You know, he, we talk about how he did miraculous things for other people. Where is he in my life? I've never seen him. Well, maybe you need to surrender your life to God to see him work in your life. But this is basically, Gideon does not recognize that they deserve what they're getting. He's putting all the blame on God. God, it is your fault that we are in trouble. And if you were really the God that our fathers talked about, you'd be rescuing us. How many times have we maybe done that? We definitely know people who have done that over our lifetime. You know, well, if God was that way in the past, why isn't he? And I hear it a lot with people that I, that I talk to. If God has done that before, why isn't he doing it now? Well, because people are worshiping idols right now. They're not worshiping God. And even in the days of Moses, why did they not get into as much trouble as they deserved? Moses was worshiping God. Joshua was worshiping God. Aaron was worshiping God. There, were, there was a remnant of leaders leading them in the right way. And when the leaders are part of the remnant, then people will follow in. When the leaders fall away, the remnant goes into hiding. Right now, there is a remnant during Gideon's time. Somewhere there's a remnant following God. But the leaders aren't following God. And God is saying, I'm bringing you into judgment. The remnant is extremely small. In our country of America, there is a remnant of true believers in this country. Otherwise, more penalty would fall upon us. There's a remnant of people praying for our country. Or we would be in worse trouble than we are right now. When the remnant stops praying look out. And you know, it's getting smaller. It's getting harder to find that remnant. It's getting harder to find people who name the name of Christ and really truly live for him. And I see it so often. There's so many people that say, I'm a, I'm a Christian. And you go, well, what does that mean to you? And they have no idea what it means to be a Christian. Well, how, how do you follow Jesus? Well, I don't believe in Jesus. Yeah. I've always wondered how somebody can be a Christian and not believe in Jesus. Yeah, but you know, I've met many of them I've met them in churches. I don't believe that Jesus lived a perfect life and, die, and died for my sins. Well, what are you believing in if you're a Christian? Tell me what it is you're believing. What makes you a Christian if, you don't, if you're not a Christ follower? But, you know, and it's a bizarre thing to me when I meet these people. Uh, I don't believe the Bible is true. I don't believe in Jesus, but I'm a Christian. What, what do you mean by being a Christian then? Or what kind of Christian are you? But this is where Gideon is right now. My grandpa told me all about these stories, but I don't, you know, he's told me about Deborah, he's told me about Ehud, he's told me about Joshua, he's told me about Moses, he's told me about the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea, but God, what have you done for us lately? We're, you know, we're not worshiping you, but you're, you're not here doing anything for us. 
but basically saying, you know, hey, what have you done for us? We heard all these stories, but you're not doing anything for us. And this is a sad place when people remember the stories, but don't remember the God behind the stories. And the fact that God said, if you obey me, then I will bless you. If you disobey me, then all the curses will come upon you. So you're right. They're, they're remembering the stories of what God has done, but not the, their responsibility. And we as Christians do that frequently as well. God, you made all these promises to me. Oh, you, that's right. You wanted me to obey, to, to obey you and let you lead me. And you wanted me, you wanted me crucified. You wanted to be the one running my life. Uh, uh, okay, God, the, uh, yeah. how come we don't have a church like they were, were in Acts? You know? Well, maybe because we're not allowing God to do the things that he did in Acts. Uh, the sad thing is we are having the church that was in the book of Acts. We don't even recognize it half the time because... And I've said this over and over. We wouldn't have the epistles of Paul and Peter and John if the church wasn't already misbehaving in the first century. The very things they were having problems are the same things we have problems with in general cases. Otherwise, the letters wouldn't have been written to fix the problems. Were there great churches in, in the first century? Yes. Were there bad churches in the first century? Yes. Are there great churches in our day? Yes. Are there bad churches in our day? Absolutely. And, you know, for the sad thing is that there are many people walking with God that just are not allowing him to work in their lives, just as here. And Gideon is challenging God. If you're really God, where have you been? Where have you been? And I love the patience God has with Gideon. You know, God is very patient with him. Uh, Verse 14, and the Lord looked upon him and said, go in your might and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? He goes, all right, I've given you the victory. Go, go do something. And this has got to be something that's going to scare Gideon. He's like, all of a sudden he's been called a mighty man and he doesn't think of himself as a mighty man. He's questioned the God of the universe and said, well, where have you been? And God says, go, go. So many times God tells us to step out and go or do something. And when he tells us to do something, we need to learn to step out and go do it. Instead of arguing, instead of trying to fight with him, because God uses the weak to confound the wise and the strong. Over and over in my lifetime, I've watched people who there is no way they should be running certain ministries. And God says, this is the person I've chosen. You know, this person who barely can read their Bible, this person who can barely you know, talk, God, you're going to use that person? And God says, yep, because they're going to need me. And this is what it comes down to. God wants to use people that will let him be used, or let him be part of them and use them. And here God tells them, and he said unto them, O Lord, where, Wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. In other words, I'm a weakling. I'm, you know, we're poor. You know, I can't afford to buy an army. I can't afford to do anything. I am, I, you know, he's being very humble. Very much the same thing that Saul said when he was chosen to be king. Who am I? I'm from the smallest tribe of Benjamin, and you're going to use me? David, the youngest one of his family, a shepherd. Matter of fact, when... when Samuel comes to anoint the, the next king of Israel, and he says to, to David's father, gather up all your kids, and God's going to pick one of them. He picks all of them except David. 
And then he gets to the end, he goes, do you have any other sons? And his father goes, oh, yeah, I've got another son. He's out taking care of the sheep. You know, how insignificant was David? His father didn't even remember him. <laughs> yeah, didn't even remember. Oh, yeah, I do have another son. He's out there in the field. That's where he's almost always at, out in the field, taking care of the sheep. You know, I, I almost forgot I had him. <laughs> you, know, you told me to gather all my sons. I forgot about that one. You know, insignificant people being used by God. And this is Gideon's attitude. I'm just insignificant. I'm not, I'm not worthy to be used by God. I'm not worthy to step forward and do this. And the Lord in verse 16 said, Surely I will be with you, and you shall smite the Midianites as one man. So he says, you're going to be victorious. You're going to be victorious. And this is the promise that God gives us even today. If we're stepping out by faith with the Holy Spirit leading us and we're letting him work through us, we will be victorious. We will be successful when we step out. Most of us are just too afraid to step out. And I've heard it many times when people go, well, you know, we need to share our faith. Oh, not me. I'm not going to do it. I'm scared to death to talk to that person. They might rip my head off. They might stab me. I don't know what, I don't know what people's ultimate problem is with witnessing. Uh, you know, and I've said many times, I know one of them is they're always afraid they're going to be asked a question they don't know the answer to. And I've shared many times that that's the perfect thing. You say, well, you know, I don't know that answer. I want to find that answer. Can we meet again and go witness to them again? Or find somebody to go with you to witness to them <laughs> to answer their questions. But, you know, also, when people ask you a bunch of questions, usually they're a smokescreen. They don't want the answer to those questions. They just want to try to fend you off because they don't want to deal with God. And we see this over and over. And when they, when they come face to face with who they are before God, they're going to ask lots of questions. And usually very silly questions that have nothing really to do with anything. That doesn't mean we can ignore those questions, but it just means those questions are smokescreens. So we answer those quick questions and we go right back to the gospel message with them and ask them to make a decision for Christ. And it's so important, our worldview. Do we really believe that, that we're supposed to share the gospel with people? Do we really believe that eternity with God is real? And do we really believe that hell is real? I mean, if we really truly believed hell was real, how would that change our interaction with people? Well, you know what, I think I might just wait until next year to give you the gospel message because, by the way, I just know you're not going to die for a year, so you're not going to go to hell. You know, number one, we don't know when somebody's going to die, and that should motivate us right off the bat. But if we truly understood the horrificness of hell, especially with our family, how many family members do we have that are going to go to hell if they don't hear the gospel message? And the question I always have for people is, have you shared the gospel message with your family? Now, we're not responsible for what they do with God's message. But I can tell you, each of my family has been told the gospel message. Now, whether they believe or not is between them and God, but they've been told the gospel message, either by myself or my dad. One of the two of us have, been, have managed to tell them the gospel message. And the question on, that should always come to mind is, who do we know that we really care about that we have not told the gospel message to? They may end up in hell if we don't. And here, he's being told, step out. Now, his is even scarier. He actually is going to go to battle and go to war. All right, He's getting ready to go to war. He's not going out to share the gospel with somebody and have somebody get mad at him. He's getting ready to go into battle. 
with an enemy that has weapons and he doesn't have weapons. <laughs> All right? And especially when we get to his, his fun battle where he, did, you know, three, Gideon's 300 that we'll get to in the, in the story. He don't even have an army. You know, yeah, he doesn't even keep an army. Uh, verse 17. And he said to him, If now I have found grace in your sight, then show me a sign that, that you talked with me. Depart not hence, I pray you, until I come unto you and bring forth my present and set it before you. And he said, I will tarry until you come. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes and an eph- of an ephah of oil, of flour. And, he, and the flesh he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and brought it to, out to him under the oak tree and presented it to him. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon the rock and pour out your broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of his staff that was on, in his hand, touched the flesh and the unleavened and the unleavened cakes, and there arose a fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh on the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of sight. All right, Gideon's meeting this angel, and he says, you know, hey, I've got basically an offering. I want to go present an offering for you. And he says, wait until I bring you something. And he says, would you wait? And you got to figure, how long did it take him to go butcher, butcher a goat, cook the goat, make a stew, Bake bread, even though it's unleavened cakes, it still takes a while to bake. You know, how long did the angel sit out there waiting for him to do all this preparation, even if it was quick? We're talking a couple hours at least. Now, was this angel Jesus? I believe it was Jesus. This one's not as clear because he doesn't accept worship, but the angel of the Lord, which is usually Jesus. So he says, wait while I do all these preparations. And he waits. And like I say, we're talking at least an hour or two to, to kill, butcher this, this goat, cook it, <clears throat> make a broth out of it as well as cooking it, make unleavened cakes. Now, I would figure he's gone at least two hours to, to make all these things. And he comes back with this offering for the, for the Lord. And the angel says, take the, take the meat and the cakes and put it on the rock and pour out the, the drink. And that's when you make it a drink offering where they poured the, poured the uh, wine or the offering onto the ground. And it says, the angel of the Lord touched the end of, the, of it with his, with his staff and fire came up out of the rock and consumed it. This is an amazing thing. Can you imagine if you were Gideon and all of a sudden this rock produces fire. Fire comes up out of the rock. That would be a very interesting sight to see. This is not just a little bit of fire. This isn't the idea that he poured kerosene or or gas on the rock and then lit the rock on fire. This is a fire that consumes the kid and the bread. This is a fire that is strong. Normally we picture the fire coming down from heaven and this one comes up from the rock and consumes the offering that he makes. And then it says, the angel of the Lord departed. Which gives us the indication of that his departure was not one where he just walked away. It It very much sounds like he just disappeared from sight. Which again, takes us back to the idea of the angel of the Lord, the Christophanies, where Jesus could appear in the room and then just disappear from the room. And here we have this angel appearing, accepting his sacrifice, 
And we're, as we get into the story of Gideon, this is probably really the first sacrifice he has made for God. Because we're going to find out that Gideon's father is an idol worshiper. Which probably means Gideon is an idol worshiper. He is not recognizing the fact that, God, you haven't done all these great things because we haven't been worshiping you. We've been worshiping other things. And so we see that his family appears to be idol worshipers. They're not really strong followers of God. And this is something we're going to see about a lot of the judges do not appear to be very good, strong believers. We've got Gideon, who, who's uh, one of his first offerings, if not the first offering he makes, is here to God. He's later on going to go into idolatry worship before he's done. We see somebody like Samson who comes along and never appears to worship God until right at the very end when he says a prayer in the temple of Dagon and says, God, I have been basically paraphrased. I've been such a fool. Give me strength one, more, one last time and I'm going to bring down, the, to bring down this temple and, and kill all these worshipers. And God gave him the, the strength. Now, we see this over and over that many of these judges are not very godly people. And God still uses them to deliver his people. You never know who God's going to use, how he's going to use them. And keep this in mind. When God asks you to do something, he's never going to ask you to do something that he's not going to empower you to be able to do if you're willing to step out. Just step out. We read people about people like Booth, who, built, who started the Salvation Army. You know, he didn't think much about what he could do. All he wanted to do was serve God as best he could. He never expected to get a multi-international organization going from that activity. You read somebody like the founder of the Navigators, who all he was doing was, was teaching a couple of sailors how to, be, how to share, the, share the gospel. And he didn't even think he was very good at it. And yet the Navigator program now has got Bible studies and Bible study programs for millions and millions of people. And he started with just this two sailors who then went back to their ship and says, we want you to teach other people in our ship. And then that spread and spread and spread until all these people are now being ministered to. You've got people that are just very, just doing what they can. One of Annie's favorite characters, that Corey Ten Boom and her family. All they would do in protecting Jewish people and helping them get out of the country. Not, not a huge thing, but they shared God's love with the Jews. And many of them ended up getting saved through that process because a Christian loved them enough to help them. All right? We don't know exactly what God will do with you. And 100 years from now, who knows what God will have done with your, with your life. We look at the various people in the Fox's Book of Martyrs who gave up their lives, and yet because they gave it up with such constancy with Christ, God says, your witness is still leading people to Christ even today. Just because you were constant as you went to death. You endured the embarrassments that they put you through. You endured the pain they put you through. And your testimony is still going forth today. God is waiting to use individuals. He is waiting to do miracles. It's an amazing thing that God wants to do miracles even in this day and age because the Holy Spirit is the same as he was yesterday, today, and forever. People get healed. People get resurrected once in a while. And it's mostly our lack of faith that even keeps us from asking God to heal, asking God to resurrect. 
Because God is saying, I'm still the same one. I still want to serve you through the Holy Spirit and lift Christ up through the Holy Spirit. Very important for us to understand, he told Gideon, step forward. He told Peter and the disciples, step forward. Philip went out to the road to witness to the Ethiopian eunuch. And you know, he had a real experience. He, he had to walk to go to the Ethiopian. He got done with the Ethiopian and God said, okay, you're done. And took him, translated him someplace else. Just took him. You know, I've never had God do that to me. I've never had him take me from one place and put me in another place. Kind of be freaky, I think. But God just said, you're done with this. I'm going to take you someplace else. I'm going to minister to somebody else. What kind of power does God have? Unlimited. Okay? He's omnipotent. There is no limit to what he can do. And God probably looks at things and says, well, it's no big deal to me. I know how to make things happen anyway. Now, besides this, I've got lots of power. Yeah. How often do we limit God? God, you can't fill my mouth. You can't, you can't make this happen. You can't, you can't give me victory over an enemy that's coming like grasshoppers over our land and destroying our property. And God, you only told me to go. You didn't tell me to take an army. And God says, I've got it. Matter of fact, later on when Gideon gathers an army, he says, you've got too many people. Gideon, you have way too many people because you're going to take credit for this. We're going we're to get rid of a bunch of them. We're going to get rid of a whole bunch of them because you've got too many. Oftentimes, God will do this for us. George Mueller, raising the children in the orphanages, having no money and having to depend on God for every penny he has to spend every day, every month for these kids. And you know what? Kids got hungry every single day and wanted food on the table every single day. They wanted heat in their, in their bedrooms every single night, and they wanted heat in the morning when they got up. And he felt that they needed heat. And he had no money for all this stuff. And God blessed him to be able to provide for these children for his entire life. It's an amazing thing when you listen to what God can do for people and what he wants to do if we just have enough faith and trust in God and his spirit. All right, Annie, I'll give you the last word before we pray. To see God working through people's lives and to see him the way he works and uh, just to see what God does. If we will just have enough faith to let God work, and he will work. And I could tell you over the years, it has been fun to watch God work in situations where it doesn't make any sense. Times when I've been asked to do things that make no sense, and stepped out in faith and seen God do miraculous things. And seen him do wonderful things. The healings I've seen, the activities that I've seen, the witnessing that, have, that has been spoken both by me and by listening to others on my witnessing times, you know, just to watch God step forward. And we watch God work, and it's an amazing thing. And the more you see it, the more faith you get. Because it's like, oh, wow, God, you can do that? Well, what else can you do, God? And like I said, there's many times, and even here, that I believe that upstairs in that time after, on, on some of our monthly dinners, that God has increased the food. Because I look up there and I'm going, there's no way everybody can be fed with this little bit, and then everybody ends up being full. And not much food left in the pots afterwards, but... And I've seen him do that many times in my life, where we ended up with more people than we expected at a family gathering after church, or gathering after church anyway, not all family. Uh, and... You know, the one pot of rice and beans feeds 
a lot more people than it should be able to feed, and there's a little bit left at the bottom of the pot when everybody's done. And you go, God, wow, you, you are really wonderful. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to learn that you use those who seem to not be usable, that, that you love us that much. Lord, all these individuals, we need you to touch in their life, Judy and Carl and, and John and various people that are suffering from all these things. We ask you to touch them and help them. Lord, help us to be able to hear your voice and to step out in faith when you ask us to do things because you are the one that will ask us. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.